you know, sometimes we just read the scriptures and we just read the scriptures and we don't take, well, many of us don't have time, so we think. We'll be talking about that today. But to really ponder and figure out what this Bible was telling us, you do have to read between the lines of what was going on. So as we enter in the season, right now, it's two weeks, <laughs> two weeks till Passover, Resurrection Sunday. <laughs> Next Sunday is Palm Sunday. It's when he rode into town on the donkey. We're, we're going to hear about that, I'm sure, or you're going to read about it. But two weeks before all that was going on, things were happening in Jesus' life. What was he doing in those two weeks? So we're going to be talking about that, but we're also going to talk about how his relationships began. He only had three and a half years of ministry, so to speak, ministry. Three and a half years. That's really not that long to turn the world upside down. Amen? Uh, Lenny and I have been at this many, many, many years, many t multiples of three. And... Um, so I want, you, I want you to get into it. How many know, you know, in Jerusalem, where all this was taking place in that region, in, in, in the rounds, in the, in the cities around that, and the towns and villages, this was a season. Right now, I Googled this morning, I checked out, it's 81 degrees in Jerusalem today. They're having a hot day today. It's unusual for this time of year because typically they're, their temperatures are, you know, uh, mid to high 60s, 70s. You see, what they're all anticipating, what they were anticipating in Jesus' time, was the barley fields. Their, their temperatures aren't as drastic as ours. Okay? And so the, wheat, the, the barley harvest had already been popping up. They had to know that when Passover came, Barley had to be sufficiently ripe so they could actually cut a crop because they had to do the wave sheaf offering in like two and a half weeks from now. And that's what they're planning on right now. Is this the season? And God would just, they'd go out, they'd inspect the shoots, and if they weren't up to it, the timing had to be delayed. Because that wave sheaf offering had to happen in the temple. Those were the rules. So I want you to get a feel. It's warming up here. So let's tune in. Let's think about what he was experiencing those weeks. It wasn't cold and melting snow out there for him. You know, the wildflowers were starting to come up. People were getting excited like we are. Spring. Things were happening. The winter was past. The cold winds of winter were over with, and spring was coming, and they were experiencing sunny days. They're going to have a lot of sun over there in the next two weeks. Lots of sun. Lots of sunshine. I want us to think about his relationships. We tend to, to read the scriptures, and we hear about different individuals, but we don't have a timeline. The Bible wasn't written like a timeline. Now, some of the Gospels, when they wrote it, they kind of start at the beginning and try to go to the end, but we don't really know. Was this year one of his ministry? Was it year two? Are we on the third year of the ministry? So Jesus, around October, around the feast, um, that's when he got baptized. you know. And then right after that, he, he went into the wilderness. After he came out of that 40 days fasting and overcoming the enemy at his own games, he started his ministry. So let's think. We, we, can, we can think back to the Feast of Tabernacles. It's only five, six months ago. So that's when his ministry began. And then his first, the next feast was Passover. So in the scriptures, it does tell us about the turning of the tables. It was his first mark within six months of his ministry. When he went to Passover, that didn't just happen before the last pa the the one that he was going to. Okay, 
I want us to get a timeline here, in case you didn't know that. That was the first Passover he went to after his ministry began. We know that his, the first, we have recorded the first Passover he was, um, when he was a child, when he was 12 years old, and he, and he got left behind in the caravan. His family had gone to Passover, and he got lost on the way. They came back to the city trying to find where he was, and he was in there teaching the rabbis at 12 years old. But after his official ministry began, that turning of the tables and chasing out the money changers was that first Passover in his ministry. So that was within his first year. I want to just talk about more about, um, so as I say, this isn't like, I'm not preaching at you, but I want you to glean from the stories of the people that Jesus, that knew Jesus, that were close to him. We, we kind of have a handle on the disciples, sort of. We kind of know their personalities. We read the Gospels, we read the Word, and we, we kind of know, you know, we, we have words for some of them, like doubting Thomas, and, you know, John was the one that leaned on his breath, the beloved John. You know, we have different names for each one. We know that Luke was a physician. We kind of know some of their character. We don't know the background, but there is some good reads in the Bible that tell us about some really close friends of Jesus. In fact, they're talked about several places in the gospel. They're short stories, but we've got to read between the lines. We've got to know what was happening during the season and what was going on there. Now, it's made me, as I've pondered this, and because I've been so blessed, as, you know, I had to determine that I was going to go to Israel and actually experience that. Did you know there's four Gospels in the Bible, but they call actually going to Israel the fifth Gospel? And the reason they say that is because when you go and stand on the land, it speaks volumes. It fills in some of those lines. You have, you, you see Mount Horeb. You see where Elijah called fire down from heaven. You know, you see these places. You, you touch these places. You smell these places. You, it helps you envision what was going on. So I want to tell you, so we all know that Jerusalem was, you know, the city. That's where they all came. Those that lived close by on the Sabbath, you know, they had limits. They couldn't go far on the Sabbath. They could only walk so far. Otherwise, that was considered work. But the town of Bethany was thriving. It was only two miles away from point zero Jerusalem. When I went to Israel, I have pictures walking there with my grandson and Deb and different ones and Sean. And, and they were sitting on it. Deb and Sean were sitting kind of on a bench that was there in Bethany. We're talking about Bethany today. Two miles. To give you a perspective of that, the church is here, it's 1.8 miles to the co-op down the road in White River. Okay? So it's just about the same distance. If you were at Temple, you could walk home. If you lived in Bethany on Sundays, you could actually go to Temple and listen to the rabbi speak, and you could have some fellowship on that Sabbath, that Saturday. Cool? You guys grooving with me? Okay. So it's 81 degrees there today. But part of our story lands during the season, uh, maybe years apart, till we get closer to the one that we know, we talked about where he was crucified and he gave his life for us. But I just, so you know, it was 30, 40 minute walk if you're walking casually and talking with your friends. Yesterday, we had a work day, uh, <clears throat> and several of you came and joined in that effort, and we worked hard. We worked hard, uh, very hard, and we stuck at it. Man, we didn't give up. When we were finished, I don't know, uh, 12, 31 o'clock, whenever it was, um, normally we go and get pizza, 
or order it and have it delivered or something, you know, and we sit around a table and then we clean up a mess. But somehow somebody had a brainiac idea. I don't quite remember whose idea it was, but it was a good one. Let's go to Denny's. And we did. And we could fellowship in there. So we went. We went to Denny's. And we had a really great time of fellowship. And even though we were all tired, and even though we all had things we had to do when we got home, we had the best time. We got to minister to the folks that were serving us. We, they didn't, you know, we mixed it up. The guys were sitting at one table, but John was actually going to get to come after work and meet us over there because he'd been working at his job and couldn't join us that morning. But he could join us for fellowship. We all met up there. So then the girls had a different table, and they needed to add a fifth chair. So then we switched. So we walked from the back of the restaurant. We, you know, we just had fun. It was life. The reason I'm telling you these details is because Lonnie could have told you the story, yeah, we went to Denny's. We had a good time. Yeah, it was great. Right, Sean? Sean, what did we do yesterday? We went to Denny's. Had a great time. <laughs> we went to Denny's and had a great time. Passover is two weeks away. <laughs> miracles! It's the season of miracles. Amen. But do you see, the reason I told you those extra details is because those extra details are in the stories. If we dig a little, if we think about it. So that's why I'm talking about. I want to... Uh, I want to talk to you about some messengers and some true servants this morning that were Jesus' dear friends and whom he loved just like he loves you. He's no different in our relationships if we allow him uh, to be than he was with these folks. So I'm going to be talking to you about Martha and Mary and Lazarus. And we're going to be reading some of that, but we're going to ponder and we're going to understand what the scriptures are really, really telling us. So I want to give you a little family history about them. Um, as we dig in and we read historians and, you know, as we dig into the scriptures and we compare them, um, there, on some of the stories, uh, is recorded in Mark, in Matthew, uh, in, in John, the same story, but a little differently, because each one of them were there, and they were telling the story differently. Sean just said, we went to Denny's and had a good time. I told the story a little differently, right? I came up with a few more details from my perspective and what I was thinking. So when we take these Gospels and we layer them over, we get a greater understanding. Now, I just want to say, so the family history of Martha and Mary and Lazarus, well, in Mark, it talks in one recording of a situation. It talked about going to Simon the leper's house. But the same story was told in another Gospel that said, they went to the village of Martha and Mary, and they went to their house. Hmm. So if you overlay that, you begin to understand that Martha, we never hear about her mother, we never hear about her dad. Her dad was, they, scholars believe, was Simon the leper who had probably died. He was a wealthy man because there's no way that Mary and Martha and Lazarus could do and put on big spreads of food like they provided and have enough room in a typical house in Bethany and a courtyard big enough to handle a party, a big group. We had to split up in two tables yesterday because they couldn't accommodate us. But figure, there's 12 disciples. And then there's other people that might have come along. And there's 12 disciples, and there's Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. In my math world, I hope it's right, John, it's 15 for dinner. 
and maybe a few more. Every woman is thinking, somebody's got to put on that spread. But in the Gospels, it talks about going to Martha's house. It sounds like Martha is the oldest child. And somewhere along the lines, Martha had to take the responsibility of not only taking care of the spread, the land, the crops, the animals, the household duties that her mother would typically do. She had to take care of her younger sister. They're always like Mary and Martha, Mary and Martha. So they might have been close in age. But Lazarus comes in last, and that's only probably denoting because he was their little brother. He was younger than they were. Martha had a lot on her plate. Come on. And everyone and her brothers and sisters, and he's not old enough to go out and do all the harvesting. He's younger. And so whatever years and brought them to this hour of their life when they meet Jesus, because this is all new, but they only live two miles down the road. So when Jesus, that first year of ministry, let's just think about it, his first year of ministry, that news is going to travel fast. And the news that's going to come from Bethany, because other people in the village are going to go to temple, and some of them may have seen it happen. They might have been close enough. They're going to come back, and it's going to be the talk of the town. Some guy went in there like a madman, turned over, chased everything out, let the animals go, and said this was his father's house, and he wasn't going to have money changers in it. So this probably, possibly, this is speculation. But I would say if they hadn't heard about Jesus before, they heard about him and about that event because they lived close by. Right? You tracking with me? Okay. So they knew about him. They were talking to people. They were trying to hear what was going on. Who is this guy? Some saying he's a prophet. Uh, some people saying he's a wacko. You know, whatever. Uh, they're all trying to uh, delineate about Jesus, like, oh, some say he's from Nazareth. Yeah, there's rumors about this guy, you know, with his mother and Joe, you know, has just stuff going on. We don't know about this guy. But some are saying, look, this guy, this guy's bold. I was there when this kid was teaching in the temple when he was 12 years old, and we were amazed. And now all these years later, he comes. I was there, you know, and they're talking about what they knew about this guy named Jesus. So in a way, when you start hearing stories about somebody, you start forming opinions about them, right? I could say, do you guys know who the president is today? And you'd say, yeah. Do you know Biden? You haven't met him. I don't think there has anybody in this room actually met him or hung out with him? No. But you know about him. You formulated op opinions about him based on stories you've heard or what you've seen or seen him speak on TV, whatever it is. So this is what I'm saying. Before they ever actually met Jesus, they had heard about him and they had formulated maybe some opinions or they had lots and lots of questions. But in Jesus' travels, somewhere, somehow, we come to the first story, which is earlier in the ministry. It is not the last stories that we will talk about today. We hear about this story. And the reason I say that this isn't the first time he'd been at their house is, well, we'll just read it. And I'll tell you, because we're all human. And things haven't changed a whole lot. We might live by different rules and regulations, but the, the heart of humanity and the way we respond to things. So I'm going to Luke. I'm going to Luke chapter 11. And we're just going to read some of the scriptures. This is 98 words. This is all we get. Now, I've, I've spoken. Somebody count my words. I have no idea what I've already told you. But I had to tell you all those things to get us to this moment. And this is all we get is 98 words to tell us this story. 
Verse 38, Luke 11. Now as they were traveling along, he entered a certain village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. It didn't say it was the first time. It didn't tell us anything but that. And she had a sister called Mary, who moreover was listening to the Lord's word, seated at his feet. Mary has a, she likes to be at Jesus' feet. We find her there over and over and over, one way or another. She's at his feet. But remember, I just told you who they are as a family. Martha's head of household. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations. And she came up to him and said, Okay, so Mary's at his feet. He's sitting over here. He's talking to whoever's there. Mary's running around because she's got 15 people to feed. And she doesn't have a microwave, okay? And there's not takeout to help her out along the way. She's got to get all this. She's got to harvest herbs out of the herb garden. She's got to get dried fruit. She's got to do this and that. If she's having a lentil stew, she's got to get the beans. She's got to clean them. She's throw them in the pot, find something to flavor them up with. This isn't making meals like we throw them in, 30 minutes or less. There's no going to the grocery store. She's got to go to the crock. If she's going to serve cheese, she's got to pull the crock out, the cloth that's holding the cheese. She's got to get it out, they slice it up, put it back in the crock, clean up that mess. And they don't have plumbing. They don't have running water. You understand what I'm saying? This isn't just like you and me fixing dinner. This is a big production. But she's, she's working on it because she wants it to be good. She wants it to be the best. But Martha was, so, so they're all in there. She's trying to get the meal together. And Mary has kind of, Mary has had to know that everybody was coming. She's, it says she's been making preparations. So this wasn't like, you know, he arrives. Mary had helped with some of the stuff. Mary, uh, Martha had told her what to do. Bring this, bring this, and let's put it together, and let's do this, and this is how we're going to serve this thing. But Mary has wandered away because she doesn't bear that big burden of running the household and making sure everything works. And she's wandered away, and she's sitting at Jesus' feet. And Mary... Martha begins to complain, and she says, she goes right up to Jesus. Now, this is why I'm saying this isn't the first time they know each other. They have to have known each other. You would not talk to your first house guest the way she talks to him, right? You, no. They had to know each other. She had to know him well enough at this point where this story is recorded that she would have the audacity to just lay it out. I, I know Sean well enough, if this was going on, and I'd say, Sean, Debbie's just sitting around here. I'm making this whole meal, and she's just you know, in awe of your every word. Tell her to come and help me. I've call, You heard me call to her a couple of times. You can see what's going on here. And you guys are spending the night here to boot. I've got to fix the cuts and the, and the pallets for everyone. You see what I'm saying? I wouldn't do that if it was just somebody that was at my house for the first time. Everybody's on good behavior, right? You want them to come back. So that's why I'm saying we have to read what's really happening in the story. That tells me they already knew each other, all of them. So he goes, she goes, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me, please. But the Lord answered, and he said to her, Martha, Martha. You want to read that part to me, Sean? I can be Martha. Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. But only a few things are necessary. 
really only one. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Now, he's looking at the spread that she's put on, and she's trying to bless them. She knows they've been out on the road, the dusty road. It's hot. It gets hot there in the summer, too. And it's dusty, and it's dry, and they're hungry, and there's no fast food. You know, if you run out of raisins or whatever you're eating or dates, you know, it's too late till you get somewhere to a household or somewhere that they can cook for you or you can buy food. Jesus is telling her that it really wasn't the end of the world if they only had one dish. She didn't have to provide everything. It was wonderful. It was delightful. But it wasn't necessary to throw a big thing like this every time they came to their house. And Mary has chosen the good part, and it won't be taken away from her. He was speaking prophetically here. It didn't mean he wasn't going to, um, you know, that he didn't totally disagree. He understood. He's just saying, lighten up. Let's chill out. Let's make it more simple. Because I know you like to sit at my feet too, Martha. Let's make it more simple. Now, I'm sure that Mary didn't sit there after Jesus said that to Martha. She got up and helped her sister. Right? Yes, of course she did. Because she knew when they all left, Martha would have something to say about it. If she didn't. Because Martha was playing the role of her big sister and her absent mother. Do you understand? This is how life really works. And it worked just like it does now. It was the same then. Lazarus isn't even called in this to help. He's hanging out with the guys, and the guys didn't really help. But he had helped and done his fair share before if he needed to go out and harvest anything out of the fields. So we typically hear this story, and, and Martha is scorned. Martha chose the bad part. Mary chose the good part. But I'm here to say they are both unique individuals. And somebody had to feed them. They both chose their own way of ministering to the Lord and to bless him with their actions. Amen? Can we all agree on that? Jesus found comfort there. It tells us time and time again that he went to Mary and Martha's house and Lazarus's house. He hung out. By the time we hear about Lazarus being raised from the dead, Jesus is weeping and crying. He's sobbing. It says he loved them. So this wasn't offensive to Jesus in any way. She felt like she could be honest with him. And I've had plenty of talks with Jesus about this very same thing. And identified with Martha. Where are the people helping? Can't you, sit, can't you give somebody a dream? Speak to them audibly? that I need help around here to get this show on the road. These people are oblivious. And most of the time, it's not because they're sitting at the feet of Jesus. Okay, let's just clarify that. But are you getting my drift? We're talking about messengers and servants. Okay, I beat that enough. Um... A lot going on. I think that they both sat at his feet. I think, as we see and we read in the other stories, that Martha was listening just as much as Mary was because of her actions and her conversations with Jesus as we move on into the stories. Let's turn to John uh, 1. 
I'm sorry, John chapter 11, verse 1. I'm going to read some of the story, and uh, there's a lot of, it's 1 through 44 scriptures. But how many of you have actually been reading about what, you know, the Gospels in this season? So if you haven't, you're going to get to hear it today. This is when, this is now, this is now the third year of Jesus, or, you know, we're into the last six months of Jesus' ministry, okay? This is when this story, this is three years down the road. So Mary and Martha, they've had many more times, dinners, hanging out, because nowhere is it written in the Gospels that once Jesus left his hometown of Nazareth and started his ministry, we don't have anything of him going there to relax or that he went back home and hung out with his brothers and sisters. He wound up going to Martha and Mary's house. That sounds like where they really hung out a lot. And though he might have been fed along the way in other places, he couldn't get back to that hospitality and that feeling of home. It was his home now, away from home. And he said, who is my mother? But who is, who is my father? But him who is doing the will of my father. So, so he had to kind of appraise that in their lives. They must have been understanding him and listening at every word and trying to understand what he was telling him. And we get down to that last year, and they've built this relationship and they love each other, and they really miss each other when they're not there. And they're just planning, and they're praying for one another, and all the things that are going on. Because now it's three years into this, and now it's treacherous times for Jesus. Now they know that um, when he goes to Jerusalem, you know, they were trying to seize him, they were trying to trick him. You've read all the other stories of what they were doing to him. And these are treacherous times. And Bethany is close to Jerusalem. It's really not even safe for him to be in Bethany at only two miles away where, where all the powers of be and hell was waiting for him to trick him and capture him at any time. It was dangerous. But in this story in chapter 11, now a certain man was sick, John, it wrote this gospel. So this is John chapter 11. Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. I just want you to hear what he said. He didn't say, he said Lazarus in Bethany, but he said this village was the village of Martha and Mary. That means they had a lot of influence there. These two gals were messengers of the covenant. They were out evangelizing. They were out spreading the gospel. They were out speaking the truth. I mean, for them to declare, that, that's a lot of clout. They had an important place in the village after this three years. And it was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So they're identifying this as they're writing it out because how many Marys are in the Gospels? There's his mother, there's Mary of Magdalene, there's another Mary that was a cousin, there's this Mary, there's Marys all over the place. And if you haven't done you know, research in your history on whose Mary is what in what scripture, you get them confused. And so I just want to say at this moment so I don't forget, I know that as we approach the cross and we know what happened, we know that there were some brave women there. And they didn't run. They stayed. And they watched the whole thing happen with Jesus' mother. And John, the one that wrote this, he was there. Everybody else had run. Okay? So this is John that stayed there, that was watching at the cross, who is telling us the story as he writes down some of the things. I have every, I have no doubt that Martha and Mary were in that upper room at Pentecost. 
I have no doubt that they were some of the women that when they took his body down and they put it in the cave, that they were that group, part of that group of women that came. They were fearless. And they came back to do his body upright, not in haste like it happened. These women were there. These are how close these two women were to Jesus and Lazarus, too. And it was, verse 3, the sisters therefore sent to Jesus him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. They don't go, my brother Lazarus is sick. They go, he whom you love, they are appealing to his heart and his affections. They know how much he loves their little brother. And I'm not saying he's a kid now, but he's whatever age he is. It doesn't give us that. But, but he's a young man. And he's three years older now. Three and a half years Jesus has known this young man. But Jesus, when he hears of it in verse 4, he says, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now Jesus, and, and John comes in here and he tells us, he writes us, he says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. We can have no doubt he's laying it out that he loved them. Then after this, he said to his disciples, because they're out on the road, they're ministering, he says, let us go to Judea again. Oh, I'm sorry. He goes, wait, I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself. He says, this is an unto death in verse 4, but that the Son of God may be glorified. Now, um... When Jesus heard this, this was his response. When therefore he heard that he was sick, he stayed where he was two days longer. What? This is the guy you love. You stayed there two days longer. He didn't run immediately. Do you know what was conflicted in his heart? Because Jesus was 100% human man of 100% faith. He knew what was going on. God had told him what was going on. Do you know how hard it would be for me if this was Sean and his son was dying and he knew that I could come and heal him? And I was up at my camp in the White Mountains and I got word by a messenger, because there were no cell phones. It took time to get the message, da 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 back. Do you know, if I even knew that God was going to raise his son, that, that his son was going to die and raise him from the dead, do you know how hard that would be for me not to come because I would know what kind of grief he was going through? I have no cell phone, I can't call him. I can't send him a text. I can't send him an emoji with a heart like, mm, I love you. There's no word. There's no response. So he stays where he is for two days. And then after that, he's like, um, well, let's go to Judea again. And the disciples were like, Rabbi, the Jews are now seeking to stone you. Uh, come on. Uh, and you are thinking about going there again, and then Jesus is like, um, yeah, are there not 12 hours in a day? And he says something very spiritual, like, you know, if you walk in the day, you're not going to stumble, but if you're in the dark, um, because he sees this world, he won't stumble. And then, But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. And he's saying something spiritual, and they're like, Okay, we're talking about you getting stoned. You're telling us a little spiritual story here. And so then he said, after that, he said, Okay, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go that I may awaken him out of sleep. Because they don't want to go. He says, so I'll go. I'm going to go. You guys stay here. 
And then they say, the disciples say, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. He's going to wake up. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he was speaking of literal sleep. So Jesus lays it out, and he says, Lazarus is dead. I'm going. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. Because they are already going, well, if he's dead, why didn't we go earlier, right? I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Now they're like, okay, we're going to go. He's dead. What are they going to do? So Thomas, uh, the one that was called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may all die with him. I mean, that's how serious it was. It was dangerous for them to go to Bethany, just two miles away from Jerusalem. This is happening two weeks before the Passover that they crucified him at. You understand the timing of this? It's intense. Intense, intense. Now I'm going to drop down here to verse um, 20. Mary and Martha had been, you know, grieving. Their brother was in the cave. His body had been wrapped. It had been sealed up. The Jews, the family, they were prominent. The whole town turned out for this. They were all crying. The whole town was weeping. Lazarus was dead. Mary and Martha. And so anyway, they're at the house crying, and Martha heard that Jesus was coming. A messenger got through the crowd, said, Jesus is on his way. He's, he's, out, he's down the road. So she finds out he's coming, and she, Mary's weeping and grieving, and she takes off. She dries her eyes, and she heads until she sees Jesus. And she's glad to see him. Are you kidding? Her brother is dead, and they've just been through hell. He's a young man, and she gets to him. And this is what she says. Martha therefore said to Jesus in verse 21, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. That's all she could think about. She knew about all the miracles. If you had just been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And then she says, even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. I mean, she's daring. She knew he'd raised other people from dead, but none of them were in a cave for four days. You know, they kind of were on a sick bed where they died. And she's trying to stretch her faith here. And Jesus said, your brother shall rise again. And she's toying with the impossibility of it. I mean, what she wants is that he could be resurrected, but she's never seen anything like this in any of the miracles happen. And it's probably it's just impossible. He's already decaying. He's, his body is decomposing. But her heart is trying to rise up to embrace something like, I just want him back if there's any way this could happen. She's trying to believe for this. And then Jesus says, your brother shall rise again. And she goes, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. That's the only thing she can wrap her mind against. Jesus had told them there was going to be a resurrection. He had told them how this, how this scene was going to end, that there would be a resurrection where all the dead in Christ were raised. You know? She's trying, in all of her grief and her emotions, and then Jesus responds and he says, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. Okay, she's wrapping her head around that. Yes, Lord, I know that. You told us that if we die, we still will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Do you believe this? And she goes, well, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ. That Christ means the Messiah. She believes he's now Messiah. 
He is the Christ. He is the Son of the living God. He is the one that was promised that would come into the world. She has embraced that. And when she said that, she went away and called Mary her sister, saying secretly, the teacher is here and is calling for you. So what that meant is they had a little more discussion, and Jesus said, where's Mary? And she said, she's at the house. She's mourning with all the people there. And he's still, wherever the, she met him, he may feel a little safer there than when he gets to Bethany. He's not far from there. But she goes back. She tells Mary. Mary heard, Jesus is here. He's calling for me. Okay. And Mary wipes her tears, but they keep flowing. She, Mary is that soft, tender heart. She's just going to weep and weep and cry and cry. It's kind of like Debbie over here, my friend. She cries all the time at the drop of a hat. Oh, we're crying. She has this tender heart. It's precious. It's precious. And so she's crying because she's just she's crying because she's glad that Jesus is coming. She's crying because her brother's dead. She's probably, I don't know, what can we do about this? I, I don't know. I'm just glad you're here. She runs. And she runs however far this is. And when she gets to Jesus, she what does she do? She's crying and she's weeping and she falls at his feet again. She's always at his feet. She's weeping. She's just undone. She's bowing before him with all of her heart in surrender and honor. And then she makes the same complaint that her sister did. Lord, and he's, you know, he's reaching down. You know, he's watching her. His compassion. He starts to cry. She's crying, Lord, if you were only here. My brother would be alive. In other words, what the heck happened? What was so big? Why were you here? And at that point, we have recorded in these Gospels. It says, When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, this is verse 33, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, all her friends had followed her down. They thought she was going to the tomb to cry again. He was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. The compassion of God Almighty welled up in his son's heart at the weakness of humanity and the curse that had come upon humanity for centuries for millennia, and his friend, the Lazarus he loved, is dead. And his friends and Mary and Martha, who he loves with a passionate, fiery love, are crying their heads out. And it says, he said, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. And the next scripture says, And Jesus wept. There's the Lamb of God. Bring him in and show that Lamb. The Lamb. Can you hold him up to the camera here? I want to get him in the light. Right here. In the center. This is a little lamb. Oh, thank you, Lord, for all the props for your word. Is it amazing? God brings a word on the lamb of God that wept. The innocence of love. How precious is that? And what I love about this is this is a black sheep. And we sing Amazing Grace. And I'm one of these black sheep that he saved. Amen? And because of the blood, my fleece is now white as snow. Amen? Preach it.
Gonna make some noise? Preacher. You talking to the air, huh? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and Mary had a little lamb. That is so precious. <laughs> I'm loving that. Thank you for bringing him in. Lord, you're amazing. Oh, my gosh. How do you follow that? The lamb, the precious lamb. They're so adorable when they're little. So they head out, and they go in, but everybody's seeing Jesus wept. Guys, Jesus mingled his tears with Mary's and Martha's. How precious is that? He wept. He wept the rest of the way. They were all weeping. It must have just tore your heart out. People were weeping and grieving. And the, and the Jews were saying, oh my gosh, look at him. So this wasn't like a tear, because I mean, a tear is a tear. He was weeping. And they were looking at how much he was weeping, and they were like, he must have really loved him. I mean, come on. We've never seen him like this. We've never seen him like this. And some said, but could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind man and uh, have kept him from dying? So here again, it's the same complaint. Why wasn't he here? Jesus, therefore, again, it tells us, again. So there must have been surges of this weeping. Jesus, therefore, again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. And it was a cave. And he walked up there in this huge crowd hanging out. And he says, remove the stone. And Martha's like, but Lord, he's been in there four days. There's going to be a stench. She didn't want to dishonor her brother and make everybody run for cover at the smell of a dead body that was decomposing for four days. And it might have been warm weather like they're having today. 81 degrees? 70s? You follow me? We don't know. This is real. Spring breezes carrying that. But he said, did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Come on! You just told me I'm the Messiah. You just told me down the road that I am the Son of the living God. You just, you just said. And so they removed the stone. And Jesus raised his eyes and he said, Father, I thank thee that you hear me. And I already knew and know that you hear me. But I'm, I'm paraphrasing now. I'm saying this for these people standing around here so they know we've been talking. Amen? We've been talking. And that they may believe that you did Send me. This was one of the last gigantic miracles that Jesus did two weeks before he went to the cross. This was the last stanza of the love song he'd been singing for three and a half years. He wept. He knew there wasn't going to be much more. There were two weeks left of his life. And if they didn't believe him now, when would they believe? His life was on the line. He was willing to pay the price. 
And Jesus says, he cried out with a loud voice. I'm not going to even pretend that I can imitate his voice, but he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Three words. Three words. We sang of the living hope this morning. We sang of amazing grace and mercy of God. All of this living hope. He is who he says he is. Everything is playing out in this moment. And he speaks three words. And the power of God goes in and does whatever it does to transform a human body and bring back the metamorphosis, whatever transformation takes place. And Lazarus wakes up, and he, he's, I don't even know what he's thinking. It doesn't tell us what he's thinking. I don't even know what would you think if you were the one that died, had been sick, and that was your last memory. I don't know what happens, but he comes out and he's walking. And he's walking like this because... He's still wrapped up. The gospel tells us that he had the linen cloths wrapped around his arms. He had them wrapped around his legs. And, he's, and, it, and they were wrapped around his face and covered his eyes. And so he is alive now, and he can smell the herbs that they had put in there. And I'm assuming he doesn't even smell the stench or anything that must have happened. I mean, such a transformation. And Jesus says, and everybody's just in shock and awe at three words, Lazarus, come forth. Imagine what those three words were doing in their minds. They weren't even, I mean, what was Mary and Martha thinking? Lazarus, come forth. What the heck is going to happen I, I, I believed, I hoped there was something that could be done, but now it's happening right before my eyes. And my little brother, and I, I see him there. It's not a ghost. Is it a ghost? Is it my imagination? When something like this happens, you're so shocked. I was talking to my granddaughter last night, and she went down for her cousin Noah's birthday, his 21st birthday. And they all flew to Miami, uh, the young the young cousins flew to Miami, and she surprised them at the hotel room. Like, you know, knock, 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 housekeeping. And comes to the, you know, the door opens, and there's Morgan. And I said, what did he say? And she said, he just didn't say anything, Mimi. Chelsea, Chelsea filmed it and everything. He was just like, 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 you know, and that's what happens when we go into shock. Am I seeing this? Is this a dream? Is this real? Is this really happening? I, you're in shock. And then Jesus has a couple more words. Go remove, remove the grave clothes. Unbound him. What a day. What a day. This has taken a lot longer than uh, I had planned, but I hope you've enjoyed it. Oh, let me tell you. Some people rejoiced with Mary and Martha, the Jews that were there attending, the ones that hadn't converted yet, the ones that weren't sure. They believed because of what they had saw. But then there were the other ones that went right back to Jerusalem. It was about, they were probably running, so it probably only took them 30 minutes to get down the road and tell them what Jesus had done. And when Caiaphas, the high priest, and the priests, and the Sadducees, and the Pharisees, and everybody was there, and they're like, what? This is it. If this gets out, this guy's raising people from the dead out of a grave, out of a stone. We can't let this happen. This is out of control. But those who were rejoicing, they were planning a big celebration. And I will wait and share with you next week what happened. Amen? Are you being blessed? Do you identify with any of the characters in the story? Are there days that you are way too busy 
to even be thinking about sitting at the feet of Jesus, just listening and waiting to hear what he might have to say. And this isn't, this isn't a word to condemn us. This is a word to teach us to bring us to a place in our lives where there is balance. Where there is balance. Where there is balance. And another message here that I want to say to you, because some of you are going through things. Maybe somebody didn't die. Maybe somebody did die. I know somebody that just lost a sister recently. A young girl. She's still grieving. You all know Carrie and her sister Michaela passed away just a couple or almost three weeks ago. I want to tell you that whatever circumstance you're in, whatever your crisis or your trial is, it may not be that. It might be something else that has got you in such need of God and you're crying out like Mary and Martha were. You're just weeping before him like, I need you, God. I, I need your answer to this. I, I need you to be in this situation. I know some of you are looking for healing. And it, and it seems like it's been too long. I want to tell you, delay is not denial. Delay is not denial. God is hearing your cries. He knows what's going on. He's right there with you. And that's why I chose that song. He is our living hope. Let us keep hope alive. Let us let go of the stuff. Let us make life more simple. How many is he how many of you right now are is God speaking you to make your life more simple? I'd really like a show of hands. Yeah. He's speaking the same message to us in this hour as never before. I want to work on things and get things in order so I can live a more simple life. That's my message to me from the Lord. He's telling me that. Make your life more simple. I want more time with you. That's what he's telling us. But don't forget, in your waiting for the answer from Jesus, that his delay doesn't mean he's denying you what your request is. I love you all dearly. I bless you all. Oh, pastor's got something to say. I hope this blessed you. It certainly didn't come out the way I planned. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Yeah, I mean, come on. You've got to see the hand of God in all of this. Now, I'm just going to bring you uh, back in. I'm just going to take a couple of minutes. Uh, I just want you to remember this morning. Please remember this morning. Please remember the story. Just another thread of what God has been speaking through these last weeks. I'm just going to encourage you, look for the Marthas, the Marys, the Lazaruses in your life in these next few weeks. Look for that relationship with Jesus. When I've been speaking to you about, find those that you can draw close to, those that you can trust. This is an affirmation, once again, of what God is saying. As we begin to approach these next few weeks, seek them out. Because I encourage you, we are going to find ourselves dependent upon a story just like this. I'm saying this with weight. This story hasn't come by chance. This is a thread in all of those places of deception, illusion, all of the things that God has been speaking. Is Babylon falling? All of these things that God has been speaking. This is probably one of the most precious keys that you personally can do. 
Seek out the Marthas and the Marys and the Lazarus. Seek out Jesus in these next weeks. Because I guarantee you, we are going to find it necessary to have this story in our life. But today, amen? So Father, I just thank you for the wonderful word. Thank you for your life, because I'm just going to intervene with this as well. Kathy carries the mantle of the prophetic. This word is going to go out over these next weeks. It's going to be a light unto our path. It's going to be so creative in how we respond, how we see how significant relationships are going to be. Amen? So, Father, I just thank you. Let your word enter into every heart this morning. Let this story resonate, Father. Relationship. It's all about relationship. There isn't anything more important than relationships. Father, let the expression of that very place, that heart, heart relationship that they had with Jesus, they also had it with one another. So let it be alive in us, Father, in these days ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I'm sorry.